Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. You can open your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 10, before we get into that, let me remind you one more time, we do have a very important meeting coming up in the life of our church, that's tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, our annual meeting. Uh, I want to make it very clear that everybody here is invited to come. Um, We urge members to come in particular, if you're a member of the church, and that includes those we just welcomed as members Uh, We encourage you to come. It's very important for you to understand what's going on in the church, where we've been, and where where we are headed. Uh, But again, if you're a visitor, um, if this is your first Sunday, we would still love to to have you come. And I I say this often, a really good way to kind of get a feel for the health and life of a church is to come to its annual meeting. Uh, You'll learn a lot about us, hopefully for, for the good and for the better, but we invite you to come. So that's tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. One of the main things we do at the annual meeting is elect officers. And so it was mentioned just a little while ago, we just had a Q&A session where the five officer candidates were asked questions by those of you who attended. And I didn't tell them this, but I, I wanna have all you guys stand up. Would, would you please do that? Uh, we have three elder candidates. So that would be <clears throat> Kurt Whitman. Kurt, raise your hand. And Bob Darby here. Raise your hand, yeah, and there's David Lowry over here, another elder candidate, and then the two deacon candidates, Zach Whitman, and behind him, T.J. Dudley. Yeah, okay, thank you guys, you can be seated. Uh, These are the guys who will be on the ballot tomorrow night, and um, it is up to you as the congregation to determine who you want to lead this church. So it's uh, a tremendous opportunity for you to have input on this very important part of the life of the church. So if you haven't had an opportunity to talk to these guys and get to know them, Uh, You've got a little more than 24 hours to do that. So uh, take advantage of that. And in the worship booklet, which hopefully you all have, Larry mentioned that it's a week out of date, but it does still have the profiles of all the officer candidates in there. So uh, you can get to know something about these guys by reading those. So I would encourage you to do that. And again, do all that you can to join us tomorrow night, 7 o'clock here in the sanctuary. Okay. Um, Have you ever had a brush with greatness? A brush with greatness. Normally when that phrase is used, we refer to a time when we we kind of run into somebody that we consider great, maybe an athlete or uh, an actor or a a politician. Um, I, I had one brush with greatness that I can think of when I was in college. Some friends and I traveled to Chicago to see U2, the band U2. And U2 was not very popular at the time, and uh, so it was a pretty small venue. And so after the show, we went out, my friends and I, and we were out there uh, on the sidewalk right outside the the venue, and we thought maybe they'll come out. And sure enough, they did. Uh, Bono, the lead singer, and the edge of the guitars both came out, and uh, Bono got completely swamped by a bunch of young girls, so we couldn't get to him, but we did get to talk to the Edge, who is the guitarist for the band. And so a few of us just stood around and talked with The Edge. <laughs> I consider The Edge a great guitarist. It was a brush with greatness. I had the T-shirt, of course, the U2 T-shirt, and I had him sign it. Because that's what we do when we have these brushes with greatness, right? I mean, we, we want to capture these things. We want to remember these things. We, 
We get pictures with these people. We put it on Facebook and Instagram. We might even get evidence of a brush with greatness and frame it and put it on our wall and we tell people about it immediately because we're excited about having these kind of brushes with greatness. I don't know exactly why this is. I mean, maybe it's because um, there's an excitement and feeling like we're just maybe a couple steps away from being famous ourselves, you know, when we get close to famous people. I wonder if maybe it's a little more because we value being recognized by people we consider significant. That we want important people to notice us. We want significant people to take interest in us. And wow, what a great thing it would be if we could even have a relationship with people who we consider to be significant, great, or famous. Well, in this story, 1 Kings chapter 10, the story of the Queen of Sheba, this is kind of a story of a, of a kind of a brush with greatness. And the great one in this passage is King Solomon. And the person having the brush with greatness in this case is the Queen of Sheba. And so this is what we're going to look at today. We are going through a sermon series here called Route 66. And what we're attempting to do is go through the entire Bible one sermon per Bible book. Started in Genesis, we're going to work our way, God willing, all the way through to Revelation, and we have reached the book of 1 Kings. So let me give you just a little background on the book of 1 Kings. Um, if I can get this slide to advance, it is on. And there it is. Okay, background information on 1 Kings. As is the case with uh, several Old Testament books, we don't know the author, several theories, but we don't know who wrote the book. Uh, the Holy Spirit wrote the book, we know that, but the human instrument, we don't know. Written sometime around 561 B.C., after that date, um, so um, about five centuries before Jesus. Significant events, uh, the death of David, the rise of Solomon as a king, the building of the temple, uh, the division of the kingdom, Israel gets divided into two separate halves, that is described in 1 Kings, the rise of the prophets, we just talked about prophets with the children, Elijah is a significant prophet and his story also is in 1 Kings. So um, we're just going to read verses 1 through 13 here of 1 Kings chapter 10, so if you're able please stand for the reading of God's word. First Kings, chapter 10, verse one. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. 
Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Moreover, the fleet of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought from Ophir a very great amount of almug wood and precious stones, and the king made of the almug wood supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also lyres and harps for the singers. No such almug wood has come or been seen to this day. The king and King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked, besides what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. Lord God, by your spirit, open our eyes and our hearts to behold wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Um, Yeah, it's going to take us some time to get through this Route 66 series. We get kind of distracted here and there, so uh, I appreciate your patience. So that means occasionally I'm going to have to review so you can know where we are in the story because that's really what this sermon series is about, Route 66. That's telling you the story that the Bible tells. The Bible is telling a story from start to finish. And we won't read it correctly unless we understand that that's its intent. So very, very quickly, as way of review, um, the Bible starts with God's creation of all things. He created the world good and upright, and yet um, Adam and Eve, his creatures, decided to rebel against him in the garden, and when they did that, the human race fell and sin was invited into the world, and the world was plunged into sin and sadness and evil. And God responded to that by making a promise, that is, that he was going to one day send a descendant, a Messiah. One day he was going to send somebody who was going to come and was going to rescue his people and fix all that had been broken and make everything wrong right again. And the way that he chose to do that was through a series of steps, and that's what we're learning about here in the Old Testament. It takes some time to unfold, but one of the things he decided to do was form a nation, So he called Abram to himself, and from Abram, who is Abraham, he said a nation would be formed, and this is the nation of Israel. So the nation of Israel was formed, and the Old Testament is predominantly focused on this nation of Israel. And so lately, we have been looking at the nation of Israel, particular as it functions under the monarchy. So Um, A monarchy was established. We call ourselves a democracy here in the United States, and you hear about dictatorships in other countries. In Israel, the form of government was a monarchy. And so we've been learning a little bit about these kings. That just means that Israel was ruled by kings. And so uh, the first king was a man named Saul, a very bad king. Did a lot of horrible things, but from Saul then came David, who was a very good king. And we're actually going to return to David in a little while as we see God's covenant with David. It's very important. We'll get to that in Second uh, Chronicles. Um, but then after David comes this man named Solomon, who we're reading about here in First Kings chapter 10. 
Now, Solomon is kind of a good and a bad king. He starts out really well and then doesn't finish so well. But what we're reading about here in 1 Kings 10 is the time when things are really good under Solomon's reign. I mean, Solomon is just doing great things here. And in fact, he's doing such great things that he has become famous throughout the world. If you look at verse 1, it says, When the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon... So Solomon is gaining this reputation throughout the world and it has extended actually so far that this queen of a place called Sheba, we don't get her name, but we know she's the queen of Sheba, wants to go and travel to Israel and find out for herself how great and fantastic this person Solomon is. Uh, Sheba, we believe, is in where modern day Yemen is Yemen is just south of Saudi Arabia, so this would have been about 12, 1,400 miles away from Jerusalem. And this is the route that the Queen of Sheba is traveling for a brush with greatness to see and behold the fame of Solomon. So, what is it that is making Solomon so famous? Why does he have this great reputation? And there's three reasons, three things. The first is this, Solomon was famous because of his wisdom. Very clear in these first several verses of this chapter. We see here in verse 1, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. The word there means riddles. Questions that people talk about and think about and work through. And she wants to bring these to Solomon and see if he can answer them. Now, what kind of questions might these be? We're not told here. We have to speculate a little bit. But in verse 1, it does say that um, the fame of Solomon was concerning the name of the Lord. So he's gaining a reputation for the God that he is serving. And so there must be some sense in which the Queen of Sheba is saying, you know, this is a guy who represents what is claimed to be the one true God, and so maybe he can answer some questions for me that I'm wrestling with, like, what is the meaning of life? And why do I exist? And why is there something rather than nothing? And if there is a God up there somewhere, I wonder... Can I know him? Can I have relationship with him? Is he paying attention to me? Does he notice me? Now, speculation, but I'm guessing these are the kinds of questions that the Queen of Sheba has. And these are good questions. These are good questions. The Queen here is not coming in an attitude of cynicism or skepticism. You know, sometimes people like to pose questions to to Christians just as a way of kind of tripping them up. You know, they come in an attitude of skepticism. I bet you can't answer this. Kind of like the Pharisees when they asked all the questions to Jesus, trying to confuse him and trip him up. That's not the Queen of Sheba's attitude. She is coming in humility. She's coming with a curiosity to know the deep things of life. And she has chosen the right person to seek out, Solomon. Because what it tells us here in verse 3 is this. Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. 
She, he, he handled it all. He, he gave her satisfactory answers to all of these questions, so much so that if you skip down to verse eight, the queen says, happy are your men and happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. The idea here is that there, there's a way toward happiness in life, and that is beholding, listening, seeking, and understanding wisdom. And this is why Solomon is famous. Now, how far away is this from our current day? I mean, when you think about it, why do people get famous today? I mean, what are some of the reasons that people are famous? I mean, if they're beautiful, you know, that helps. If they can dunk a basketball, really well when someone's defending them that's a, a sure way to get famous i mean we're even at a point where playing video games is a way to get famous i'm told you can go to youtube and you can actually watch people play video games so people are not just playing video games they're watching people play video games who play really well and are famous not that there's anything wrong with playing video games but there are different reasons for which we might be famous, and in Solomon's case, he is famous because of his wisdom. Do, do you seek wisdom in your life? I mean, is that something that you value? Do you find yourself drawn to the things that make the world famous or the things that the world values as famous? Do you find your heart going after those things? more so than what the Lord provides for us in his word. There's a band, if I can use another musical reference, a band called The Smiths from the 1980s, and the singer of The Smiths sang in one song, I'd rather be famous than righteous or holy any day. Now as Christians, we might be a little shocked by that statement, but if we look deep down in our hearts, is that the case for us, that what we desire is maybe not just fame, but popularity and power and wealth? Is that the root of what your heart desires? Or do you desire wisdom? What a wonderful thing it is to desire wisdom. Richard Foster wrote a great book on spiritual disciplines years ago, said this one day, uh, said this one time, the desperate need today in our world is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but deep people. Christians ought to be deep people. We have access to wisdom. We should be known as people who, who pursue wisdom, even if wisdom or righteousness or holiness doesn't make us famous. So where can we get this, this, um, this wisdom? Um, you know, maybe we're not as, as smart and gifted, as talented as uh, King Solomon was. Maybe that's true, but do you know that this kind of wisdom is available to you? Where is it found? I mean, we are called in First Peter to be prepared to make a defense for the hope that is in us, right? I mean, so we're kind of called to be a little bit like Solomon and be 